1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
0: Good morning and welcome to Go Green Radio. Everybody's so glad that you could join us. Today, our topic is something that we have probably all experienced, and so it's a a really important topic for us to cover here on Go Green Radio. Many of us have had a situation where maybe we have some – pharmaceuticals in our house that are expired or that we don't need or want anymore, and the question is, what do we do with them? And there have been a lot of public service announcements starting to go out to let us know that putting those items in the garbage or flushing them down the toilet is a bad idea. We may or may not know why, but today we're going to talk about why that's not a safe way to dispose of unwanted pharmaceuticals. Um, And we're going to talk about some of the public health and environmental dangers in improperly disposing of those pharmaceuticals. We've got four guests today who are going to help us go through this issue and also help us look at a very important problem, and that is if we're going to have safe disposal programs in our local communities, how do we pay for them? I mean, all of us know that our government, whether it's at the local, state, or federal level, is not flush with money to do anything and everything in all these kinds of programs. So where does the funding come from if we're going to safely dispose of pharmaceuticals? Our first guest today is Heidi Sanborn. She is the Executive Director of the California Product Stewardship Council, and she has been involved in a lot of initiatives to um, bring about something called a extended producer responsibility which basically means if you make a product you help take it back when the consumer is complete with the use of it and make sure that it's properly disposed of and that could be paint that could be computers in this case it could be pharmaceuticals and Heidi I know that you were very very involved in the nation's very first local government ordinance requiring drug companies to help pay for a drug take-back program. That was in Alameda County, California. And I'd like for you to talk to our listeners uh, about how the Alameda County program worked um, and how the ordinance filtered down from the, the supervisory level down to the point where every resident in the county has access to a safe drug disposal program.
3: Well, thanks, Jill. Actually, it started from a grassroots, uh, driven program where the, the public was asking the county supervisors, hey, we need some place to bring our medicines. And the supervisors started having one day events. They decided they weren't that convenient. They were pretty costly. And so they decided they wanted to start bins that were more permanent out in the community in pharmacies and sheriff's stations and hospitals. So they did that for a while, and then they realized in a county as large as Alameda, that just wasn't enough. They had 27 or so bins out. Um, A lot of it was done with volunteers, and they weren't collecting um, even data because, you know, it was volunteers, and sometimes you get data, sometimes you don't. So they decided they needed a better way, and they started looking around. And at that point in time, San Francisco had actually taken the lead and introduced an ordinance in San Francisco following the models that we've seen in other countries where the manufacturers share in that responsibility and help pay for the program and even design the program so that it's a more business-friendly model. They're not dictated how they do it. It's just something that they design and then implement and report back to the government. So Alameda then I guess, used the ordinance from San Francisco, which had started discussions, and then built off of that. And then we actually got involved um, pretty late in the process when they had already had it written and the hearings were already starting, et cetera. Um, but what we did was provide technical support. So we've, we've done a lot of research on this issue. We've got case studies on our website of how this is done in other countries. And it's not all the same, but there is a sharing of responsibility with the manufacturers and sometimes even with distributors and retailers.
0: Now, I know that you know this has been in the news, um, not just locally but um, nationally, because there have been some legal issues involved with this ordinance. But uh, a lot of that centers around how the program was paid for. And I know that there was a requirement, and I don't know the exact language, you can enlighten us, that pharmaceutical companies would help to pay for the drug take-back program, and I'm wondering how that worked. How do they actually levy that money from pharmaceutical companies, and how much money are we talking about?
3: Well, according to the court, so what happened was Alameda passed the ordinance, and then I think it was in July uh, of 2012, and then by December, um, three industry associations had sued the county on an interstate commerce claim, and they uh, lost that in the low court, um, and it, then they appealed it to the Ninth Circuit Appeals Court, and then the Ninth Circuit ruled in favor of Alameda, and now it's been appealed to the Supreme Court. And I'm not a lawyer. I cannot <laughs> give legal advice or, or maybe explain it like a lawyer could, but my understanding is now that the Supreme Court has asked for Alameda to answer some questions, and that due date for them to do that is in April. So it's at this point in time, it's still pending, um, and right after Alameda passed the ordinance, King County, Washington, and Seattle passed a very similar ordinance, but they also added over-the-counter drugs, not just the prescription drugs. So they got sued by an additional association representing those over-the-counter drugs, um, and it's, I believe, all in the Ninth Circuit, so that court uh, case was put on hold pending the outcome of the Alameda litigation. So... Um, Basically, what the two lower courts said was there's no interstate commerce problem, and that uh, this is a fair way, it's a legal way to proceed, um, at least on that point of law. So, what's happened now is that the industries have um, banded together. There's been a submittal of a stewardship plan. They designed the program, and the plan was just heard at a public hearing, I think, a week ago. And... um, Alameda is going to decide if they 're going to accept that plan and then let the industry go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one company I thought that submitted a very appropriate plan. They had only one patient in the entire county with a very specific drug. They knew exactly who that patient was, and they were going to provide them with a mail back uh, envelope for any drugs that they may have that were left over hmm. so that was um, i believe i 'm certain they 'll go ahead and approve that because it makes sense, and they don 't sure. need to join with other groups now. how they pay for it is really up to the industry mm-hmm. so I'm not privy to how they've chosen to do that, Um, and if all of the industries uh, and producers have yet to offer a plan, my understanding it's about 80% of the companies so far have offered a plan. So it's still working its way through the the process, Mm -hmm. and we won't know exactly how this is going to work until it actually does work. We just know how it's worked in other countries, and those fact sheets are on our home page and on our website under the pharmaceutical page.
0: Absolutely. Now, our next guest is Dr. Matthew Willis. And I really was excited to read your bio because it reminded me of a couple of movies that I really, really like. Uh, right now, you're the public health officer in Marin County, um, but you have quite a fascinating background with the CDC. In fact, um, I was reading in your bio that you worked with the Epidemic Intelligence Service conducting outbreak investigations in the U.S., Rwanda, India, Haiti, and Kazakhstan. And that I love the movie. The outbreak, and I was thinking, this is like the Dustin Hoffman of uh, <laughs> of my radio guests. This is so cool. Uh, so, welcome, Dr. Willis. We're glad to have you on the show. And I'd like to talk to you as a medical professional, as a as a physician. What are your chief concerns about the safe disposal of unwanted pharmaceuticals?
4: Uh, well, thanks thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we're looking at this from you know. It, a purely public health perspective. At this point, um, this is kind of an outbreak of uh, deaths from prescription drugs um, that's that's increasing nationally. Um, it's been declared a a public health epidemic by the CDC. Um, the abuse and abuse uh, and misuse of of prescription medications, and uh, taking sort of an epidemiologic approach here in Marin County, what we found is that. Um, when we looked at the leading causes of death here in the county, the the leading cause of accidental death in Marin is overdose on prescription medications. We have had uh, 27 overdoses in both 2012 and 2013, um, accidental overdose, uh, overdose deaths, and then an equal number of intentional overdose deaths on prescription medications, and this is um, you know, puts us at, at higher rates than the state averages for these kinds of deaths. Um, we've had increasing numbers of emergency room visits for um, problems related to narcotic use. Um, we've had one in five of our high school juniors reports that they use um, have used narcotics for recreational purposes. Um, so sort of taking all of that together, it's pretty clear that um, this is a public health priority for us as a county, um, at the same time, we look at the, the amount of uh, medicines that are being prescribed into our community and we find is is typical of patterns that are being seen nationally, which is that there's an ever-increasing number of narcotics that are being prescribed, with a, a promising exception over the last year or so, where maybe we're starting to see some decreases in our narcotic prescriptions. but. That's on a background of, you know, about a 10-year trend of ever increasing uh, numbers of of sedatives, narcotics, and stimulants being prescribed. Um, we know that, um, and where it intersects with this issue of of safe disposal, is that we know that about three quarters of uh, medicines that are being misused and abused are coming from, you know, medicine cabinets of family and friends. So this is this is a problem that is sort of embedded in the Sort of everyday fabric of our of our society. It's not drug cartels trading, um, you know, in illicit substances. This is um, medicines that are being exchanged between family and friends, um, and leading to overdose deaths. Mm-hmm. And um, we found that, you know, uh, there's just not enough convenient opportunities for people to get rid of these medicines out of those medicine cabinets. Right. As a, uh, you know, just to, to fin- as a. As a as I'd love to be able to say to, to our community, we want everyone to mount a, you know, a massive community-wide purge of your medicine cabinets. Just go through and throw away everything that is expired, unwanted, unused. And, um, and you know, unfortunately, what happens there is that um, people would be getting rid of them in ways that are harmful to the environment. So flushing right. them down the toilet, throwing them away in, in trash bins, is uh, maybe effective from the point of view of getting them out of the medicine cabinet, but represents significant environmental harm. So the way around that is to make sure that we have actually a, a good system that's that's both environmentally sound um, and safe for, pe- for everyone to get rid of them in, in places that are established throughout the community. And that's kind of our overarching goal here
0: hmm And Guillermo, you work for the San Francisco Department of the Environment. Talk to us a little bit about the environmental problems associated with putting uh, pharmaceuticals in the trash or in the toilet. What is the, the problem there?
2: Sure. Jill, again, thank you for being uh, kind and inviting San Francisco to, to share a little bit of our experience with um, a take-back program. In San Francisco, as many folks may know, we have a goal of getting to zero waste by the year two thousand and twenty and as San Franciscans, we know what to do with our bottles and cans and what to do with um, our organic material. We compost that. but there are items that we just you know kind of scratch our head and figure out well, where do these go and When you think about uh, medicine, you know it, we don 't have a bin for that. It's not something that you know comes natural to people. It doesn't go to landfill. You don't flush it down the toilet. So what happens? People stockpile it in their home, uh, as you heard Dr. Willis and, and Heidi mention. You know just the, the amount of, of pharmaceuticals that are in you know our medicine cabinets and drawers. And so in San Francisco, what we did is working with actually the pharmaceutical industry uh, pharma their trade association uh, provided some seed funding to put together a pilot program to see that if we could design um, a safe medicine disposal program that we make it convenient for consumers in san francisco would it work um, you know we've heard a lot of evidence from other countries and so forth let's try it in san francisco so we launched a pilot almost three years ago um, and we used uh, 12 independent pharmacies, we used 10 police stations for all our controlled substances, and we have one community center. And in that time period, we've collected over 23.5 tons of unwanted and expired medicine. Uh, that's about 47,000 pounds. Uh-huh. And what we've realized is, you know, we developed a proof of concept that if you make it convenient for consumers they actually will use a safe system to get rid of all that unwanted and unused medicine. And for us in San Francisco, why is that important? You heard, you know, Dr. Willis talk about, you know, certainly the public health, um, uh, respect to, to why it's important to get this out of our medicine cabinets. But from an environmental perspective, you know, pharmaceuticals have been, you know, study after study shown to have, you know, significant effects on our aquatic system. You know, although there's limited data on kind of our direct health impacts, but we've also seen that, you know, the the types of pharmaceuticals that are getting into our waste stream um, and our water stream are actually having a real impact.
0: Can you give us some examples of that?
2: You know, some of the examples, you know, certainly have been, uh, you know, uh, documented by, you know, different folks, but, you know, the measurements have, you know, been linked to, like, the uh, feminization of fish and other negative effects on aquatic life. Um, There's been a a lot of science that has looked at uh, the impact that it's had on uh, different ecosystems uh, in the Bay um, and throughout uh, other water sources.
0: Thank you, Guillermo. That was a good, good wrap-up explanation. And I know that anybody who wants to know more can easily Google uh, this information and find out more about why it's harmful to have pharmaceuticals in our waterways. And I know that that's something that we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment. Our next guest is Connor Johnston. Connor, you're the chief policy advisor to the president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, London Breed. And I'd like to bring in the political perspective of creating an ordinance like San Francisco is looking to do to take back uh, unwanted pharmaceuticals. What are some of the pros and cons that your boss needed to weigh before deciding to push for a San Francisco ordinance to require pharmaceutical companies to pay for a drug take-back program?
5: Sure, sure. And <clears throat> thank you, Jill, and, and thank you for covering this too because it's such an important issue both from a public safety and an environmental uh, perspective of... Uh, you know, I don't. I don't want to turn this into an advertisement for for my boss, but the political question is really not what she asks. Um, I think she approaches every issue with with really the same two questions: of is this the right thing to do, and will it work? And if we consider the first question of is it the right thing to do, I mean, we know as Heidi and Guillermo have mentioned that if you flush medications down the toilet, they're going to end up in the bay or the ocean. Uh, if you throw them away in the garbage, they can poison animals or leach into groundwater or just end up back at the same treatment plant and then in the bay or the ocean. And if they're left in the home, they can fuel addiction or accidental poisonings or any of the other problems that, that Dr. Willis spoke about. So, in terms of is it the right thing to do? It absolutely is the right thing to do to protect the environment, our kids, the elderly, our pets as well as those struggling with addiction. So then we have to ask the question of will it work? And I I think we have a great precedent for disposal programs in California with products like motor oil, paint, batteries, car tires, and mattresses that have have all been very effective. We also have the experience of our own pilot program in San Francisco, which over the last couple years has kept 23.5 tons of medications out of the bay and out of landfills. So is it the right thing to do? Will it work? Yes and yes, absolutely. I think in this case we had one other consideration, which is the legal risk that that Heidi touched on briefly. Uh, Alameda did get sued after they passed their ordinance in 2012. They lost in the lower court. They lost in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. They are now making what I would consider to be a a relatively specious uh, interstate commerce clause argument to the Supreme Court. And so we have to we have to recognize in San Francisco the possibility that that we may be on the receiving end of a similar lawsuit. I think we are bolstered by the fact that we have one of the best legal teams in the country under the leadership of our city attorney Dennis Herrera. Um, and this is the right thing to do and if that's a risk that we face, it's a risk that's worth taking. Uh but if you want to talk politics because I know that's my role here, uh I think Supervisor Breed or or anyone uh would be happy and proud to be a part of a coalition of supporters as diverse and strong as we have supporting this ordinance. I mean, if you look, we've got environmentalists both locally and statewide, police officers, doctors, medical associations, drug treatment centers, senior organizations, and a variety of our own city leaders. So from a political perspective, as, as her political advisor, I guess, I am very happy uh, that she has chosen to take on this issue, and I think she is too because she's doing the right thing.
0: Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. That's brave and that's bold. And uh, that's what a lot of Americans are looking for in their elected officials. So I'm glad to hear that. Heidi, you alluded to this earlier, and I want to touch on this again. You mentioned that drug take-back programs are funded by pharmaceutical companies in other countries. Talk to us about how it's working in those places and why it's so hard to get the same thing going in the U.S.?
3: Well, that's the question I keep asking. <laughs> um, when I travel and I've been to Europe and Canada, and I am familiar with um, at least the research we've done on programs in Brazil, Colombia, and now even Mexico, um, they differ slightly sometimes between between them is exactly who pays. Sometimes the retailers are made to be collection locations. Other times they're not. Um, but in Canada, the one that's... Um, the longest standing next to us, that's been running in British Columbia now for 15 years, the manufacturers were charged. It actually started as a voluntary program, and then it was made uh, mandatory and regulated by the government, and they did not need to mandate the retailers to take the, the medicines back on behalf of the manufacturers because when the manufacturers provided the program and gave them the collection been and the paid for the shipping and transport to the incinerator, which is what um, you know environmentally to date is apparently the most, uh, the safest thing to do is to destroy them. Um, they they got 94% of the vol- of the pharmacies voluntarily agreeing to take back the medicines. It's now as of 2013, 1132 pharmacies and 94.1%, and that's without a mandate on the pharmacies the manufacturers also provide a public education program. And as they've ramped up public education, they've also seen an increase in the last few years, a significant increase in the amount of medicines coming back. So they know it. I mean, it works, and it's um, many of the same companies that we're familiar that sell into California and the United States. Um, most of them are international and sell internationally. So this is something they're, they're very familiar with. Um, and when we started really, Digging in and looking at um, who else has these programs, we were really shocked at some of the and impressed with some of these numbers. Um, one of them, I can't really, I'll look through my notes here, but has almost 100% of the pharmacies voluntarily hosting the collection bins. Hmm. Um, and and again, the retailers seem to want to host the bins because it does help with their foot traffic. It's a convenience for their their customers and if they don't host a bin then maybe they're at you know telling their customers hey you have to go somewhere else to drop off your medicines and that's not really a a great model which is why in canada actually for needles which is a related product type um... needles were being collected voluntarily by the retailers because they get most of their profit margin in pharmacies from diabetic patients diabetic patients use a lot of needles and have a problem with disposal and so the the retailers actually started it as a way to gain new customers. And then, again, it became regulated over time. So mm-hmm. it can be a very business-friendly model. And, you know, we do recycling, as you talked about, e-waste and, you know, giant screen TVs and batteries that can start fires. Um, this is a very small product that has really only one safe management tool at our disposal at this time, mm-hmm. and that is the incineration. And so it really is not a hard program to set up, and it's not super expensive per pound, but it is hard for local governments to pay for everything at the back end and bury it in garbage rates and taxes. It gets very expensive when you're talking about everything sold on the free market. Right. So, and it's also not very efficient. It's more efficient if it's done at a state or a national level mm-hmm. and and help with and in a partnership with the industries that design and distribute those products because they're – There are entire organizations now on reverse distribution that become experts in this reverse distribution concept. So it works, we know it works, and it's just a question of can we work collaboratively to do it in in California and in this country? And our answer is we sure hope so.
0: Well, I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Dr. Willis, I know that you um, have a program in Marin County, California, called RxSafe Marin, and I'd love for you to tell us about that program and how it maybe is similar and maybe some ways that it differs from the Alameda County program and the proposed San Francisco ordinance.
4: Yeah. RxSafe Marin is um, it's kind of a grassroots community coalition here in Marin County to address the problem of prescription drug misuse and abuse holistically. So the goal of increasing opportunities for safe take-back is just one part of this larger effort. Safe Marine was started um, last year um, when um, we sort of asked the community the, you know, the question, what can we do to address this, this problem of, of increasing numbers of drug overdose deaths um, and the harm of prescription drug abuse? And we had about 100 people come to the table for a five-hour you know, summit meeting on the issue and we, we uh, hashed out a, a, a three-year strategic plan together. Um, we had law enforcement, um, medical prescribers, pharmacists, health plans, schools, um, addiction specialists, families of people that have been affected by this, all coming together. And what we recognized was that, you know, while we want to work with the prescribers to make sure that they're being more judicious in what they're prescribing, and we want to work with the the pharmacists to make sure that when when medicines are being dispensed lock boxes are being made available and education about the potential harm of these medicines is being offered um, and the community is being educated about the potential harm um, and opportunities for take back we also want to make sure that those opportunities for safe disposal are actually in place and what we found is one of the major limiting factors on the whole system was that you know we have a pretty robust inflow track, if you will. There's a lot of medications being dispensed in Marin County, and that's typical for other areas. I don't think we're particularly exceptional in this manner, but we had 417,000 prescriptions of controlled substances prescribed in Marin County last year, wow. which is about 21 million tablets, capsules, or pills, which is enough for every man, woman, and child to take one tablet every six hours for almost a month <laughs> in Wow. Marin. Uh, we have two hundred and fifty thousand people in this county. So clearly there's a lot of medication being dispensed here. Um, and we need to match that with an equally robust opportunity to to dispense of those medicines safely and, and R X Safe Marin established as one of our as one of our goals, um, you know, working with uh, our community partners to increase opportunities for safe take back. We started, as Heidi mentioned, we started in sort of a a one-off process, going to an individual pharmacy and saying, hey, would you be willing to host a bin, going to a clinic asking for that, and having some success, you know, one by one, increasing the numbers, and then kind of looked across the bay and saw what was happening in Alameda and San Francisco and thought, this is a much better solution. You know, a single, systematic, sustainable system um, is a much better direction for this. And we, you know, we found that we had been encountering major barriers from even getting one or two more sites countywide.
0: hmm Guillermo I'd like to shift to you again Guillermo Rodriguez from the department uh, San Francisco Department of the Environment we're talking about keeping unwanted pharmaceuticals out of our water and out of landfills but we all know that most cities water supply and landfills cross many jurisdictional borders Um, is the San Francisco Department of the Environment working with counterparts in other jurisdictions on this issue can you talk to us a little bit about how you collaborate with others.
2: Certainly, great question. Um, And certainly San Francisco doesn't have the answers alone. And it really is about, you know, building coalitions and, you know, interacting with other agencies who have um, done some of this work and see how we can collaborate and build, you know, an effective program. Um, in San Francisco, we learned a lot from the experiences of, you know, our neighbors across the bay in Alameda County and our other neighbors up north in King County, up in uh, the state of Washington. And we followed uh, a lot of their, their progression. They uh, were about two to a year ahead of us uh, from a legislative perspective, and we were able to kind of garner a lot of our own ordinance based off of their successes. In particular, we took a lot and borrowed a lot from King County in designing San Francisco's ordinance, which both um, uh, targets uh, not only pharmaceuticals but also over-the-counter drugs.
0: Mm-hmm. We felt
2: that we really needed to capture both streams um, and keep them out of you know the the waste stream and keep them out of the landfill. And in addition, we participated a lot in in Alameda during. Their process of uh, stakeholder meetings where they gathered community activists, uh, uh, and other organizations, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, we all sat around, you know, many tables over many, many months talking about the issues, what works, what doesn't work, and how to design this, offering our expertise as well as learning a lot from them. And we also worked uh, at the state level. Um, You know, Heidi's organization has, you know, spearheaded, you know, lots of conversations between local governments, water agencies, um, you know, uh, police uh, uh, officers, you know, uh, medical community, all working to try to design a great program.
0: That's fantastic. And and I'm sorry to cut in because we have to take a quick commercial break. We could keep going on this for quite a while, and we will come back to it, I promise. But we're going to go to a quick commercial break. So, folks, don't go away. There's so much more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. We're talking about uh, the public health and environmental impact of properly disposing of unwanted pharmaceuticals. And we've got four guests today all covering this issue from a variety of perspectives. Uh, We're going to go to Connor Johnston. He's the um, chief policy advisor to the president of the Board of Supervisors for the city and county of San Francisco, um, London Breed. Connor i it's my understanding that the san francisco ordinance that you guys are working on for your drug take back program would allow residents to dispose of things like over-the-counter drugs maybe even homemade drugs i'm not sure if that's the case how can the city ask pharmaceutical companies to help pay for a program to dispose of products they did not create
5: that's an important distinction actually and uh Our ordinance is not just about pharmaceutical medication. It actually includes over-the-counter medications as well. So the -the over-the-counter manufacturers are also required to participate in and help fund the take-back programs uh, in the same way that the pharmaceutical manufacturers are. So those two groups can can work together separately or they can can create a third-party organization, what what we call a product stewardship organization that manages the take-back program. Um on the homemade side, I'm not I'm not quite sure what you mean by that.
0: Um pot <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, mess, that kind of stuff, the illicit stuff.
5: Oh illicit stuff. Um <laughs> Well I might want to consult with our deputy city attorney before I answer that question. I think that's that's probably a separate topic. Uh but I do think it's important from the from the legal drug standpoint that that all of the manufacturing parties are being being brought to the table here. Um and if you look at the the analysis of the waste that San Francisco collected during our pilot take-back program, we didn't find any exotic or unidentifiable materials. It, it was by and large what you would expect, expired and unwanted prescription drugs and, and expired and unwanted over-the-counter drugs. Um, and just from a practical standpoint, if I can kind of describe how the take-back process functions, if you imagine an old VHS rental return bin where you, you know, rewind the video and slide it into the slot. It's very similar to that, and it it occupies a small space in the pharmacy, uh, except it is also uh, metal, very robust and secure. So is it possible that somebody could put you know, marijuana or their dirty laundry in there? Sure, it's possible. uh, But I think the most important point is that people want safe, secure, and convenient ways to dispose of their medications, and Mm -hmm. that's really what they're going to be doing.
0: Yeah, I'm just envisioning some mom finding, you know, stuff in her kid's bedroom or something and wanting to get it out of the house and and going to that program. That's what I was thinking there. Um, I know that other cities have, have encountered some of those things. And actually, that's where law enforcement sometimes comes in. And some communities do their drug take back programs through the police station. And they have to go to great lengths to make people feel comfortable that you're not going to be cuffed and stuffed if you bring in something illicit. And I know, Connor, that San Francisco has had had a lot of protests lately, you know, regarding law enforcement and racial relations just like there's been across the country and politicians like your boss have to walk a fine line when it comes to supporting law enforcement while keeping residents at peace. I'm just wondering what will the role of law enforcement be in the San Francisco drug take back program? And how are you going to work to engender trust amongst the, amongst the residents that they can participate without fear of, you know, legal consequences?
5: Right, right. That's a, that is a very thoughtful question. And, and, you know, I think I should back up a step since you mentioned the protests. Um, Supervisor Breed grew up in a, a very poor African-American family in public housing here in the city. Uh, members of her own family have had run-ins with the police, and it's, it's an issue that she's dealt with very personally all of her life. But the protests that we've seen are about disparity. They're about people being treated differently because of the color of their skin. And I think it's important to remember that overdoses don't really care what color your skin is, and accidental poisonings don't discriminate. I mean, if we look at the, the CDC data, Dr. Willis's former employer In 2013, there were nearly 23,000 people who died as a result of pharmaceutical overdoses. It's more than than 1.4 million emergency room visits just related to pharmaceuticals. Uh, Our police department and our chief, Greg Sir, have been very supportive of the pilot take-back program. All 10 of our police stations have participated, and I think we're grateful for their support. This is not a controversial issue. I think everyone is on the same page that we need a safe, secure and convenient system for disposing of unwanted pharmaceuticals and drugs. Um, but I do think it's, it, is, it is an important distinction because if we look at our experience in the pilot program, about 90% of the drugs that we collected went to pharmacies as opposed to the 10 police stations. And I think that's similar to the experience that take-back programs have had in Canada and Mexico and throughout the EU. I don't think that's a, that is a reflection of the controversy around interactions with police station. I think it's more of just uh, an intuitive process. It's a it's a testament to the fact that drug take-back programs should be not only convenient, but intuitive. And if consumers are getting their medications at pharmacies, the logical next step is to return those to pharmacies.
0: Mm-hmm. Heidi, what do you think about that? Do you think that pharmacies should be required to have take-back disposal bins?
3: No, because some of them are just small and in locations that it may not be safe for them. Um, they just don't have the footprint and the space for the kinds of bins that we think are safest, which are, you know, about the size of a mailbox. They're steel. They've got, you know, to be bolted to the floor of the wall. They should be by the, according to the DEA, they need to be in the in the view of, of a pharmacist. Um, so it's not right for every location. And we've just found from the, the research we've done that in countries where they have had it be voluntary, they still have extremely high uh, voluntary um, support from the retailers that will host the bins because, one, they get foot traffic, they get new foot traffic and keep their own customers happy, but then the program is actually promoting, in their public education materials, their location. Mm-hmm. So it's free advertising, basically. There's yep. not a whole lot of reason for them not to if they have the space, if someone else is paying for the program and advertising the program. Um, so we just don't see the need to make it mandatory, but we—it's just worked. It's worked. We don't feel the need to do that unless there was a problem getting enough convenience um, to meet the community's needs.
0: Well, you know what I'd love to see, and I've said this before when we've touched on this topic with Go Green Radio in the past, uh, is that you know at the moment that you receive a prescription from your doctor, maybe you know uh, receive some other piece of paper or the flip side of the prescription pad, printed the locations for you to take any unwanted, you know, over, you know, if you don't use the whole prescription, take it here, Uh, just at that same moment that you get the prescription, find out where to take it back. I think that would be another way. I mean, a smart pharmacist would, would want to print up prescription pads for the doctors with that advertising on the back I think that'd be a great way to do it and I can add to
3: that Jill we actually do that in Sacramento I've I've put out some voluntary bins here in Sacramento and Uh um, that's exactly what we do and in fact I was at the doctor yesterday for something and he said oh please bring me some more of those you know uh, cards that you've got that list where the bins are the public really my patients really want to know and they really want to use it and we also have done studies and research with the local pharmacy school and um it's, it's universal. There's not a single pharmacist I've talked to that has not had, on a regular basis, patients coming back to the pharmacy with bags of drugs and uh-huh. expecting them to take them. Yeah. And they're very frustrated because they know that some of these patients are seniors starting in dementia, and they're very afraid because we've seen an increase in seniors and others with accidental poisoning because uh-huh. they have too many drugs in the house and they get yeah. confused and they take yeah. the wrong thing and they either overdose or have an interaction. So that's a whole nother concern. And the pharmacists that I've talked to all want to do it. It's whether it's legal and their um, employer is supportive of them right. taking, taking those medicines back.
0: You know, Dr. Willis, I want you to put on your former CDC hat for a moment because I want to ask you a a broader question from a a medical expert's uh, opinion than just what you're seeing in Marin County. You know, there's been quite a movement as of late for doctors to – cut back on their prescriptions of antibiotics because we became aware that over-prescribing antibiotics um, could contribute to the development of these superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics. And so, uh, you know, I've noticed in the, you know, 23 years that I've been a mom, the difference in the way that antibiotics were prescribed when my oldest child was a baby to today. I'm wondering if you're seeing any kind of movement, institutionalized maybe by the CDC, I don't know, on the part of doctors to shift in the way that they prescribe some of these types of pharmaceuticals that we're talking about.
4: Absolutely. I think we're seeing a lot of promising, um, you know, motion towards, um, more judicious prescriptions of um, not only antibiotics, but um, of narcotics. You know, we've, uh, and that's been driven by kind of an increased understanding of what was normative, um, you know, 10 years ago in terms of um, the solicitation of, you know, of pain, you know, asking patients, every patient about whether or not they were having pain became kind of a rule. That, you know, when a when a patient came in, um, no matter what else was going on, there was a you know an active question of Are you also having pain? With the with the, you know, the smiley face and the sad face that they might circle, and then an expectation that that pain um, is addressed. And most often, the best tool, or the, the not the best tool, but the easiest tool available, was a pharmacologic one. So there was a kind of a normative um, shift in medicine in the 90s and early 2000s towards increased numbers of narcotic prescriptions being offered. Um, and we are now learning um, just over the past five years or so that there was actually increased you know, public health harm associated with that trend, that we saw increasing drug overdose deaths, increasing numbers of people becoming addicted to these medicines. Um, and fortunately, we're seeing a corresponding change in, in the education and the practice norms to to be a little more judicious when we're trying to evaluate the harm versus benefit for a given patient who may be having pain. Mm -hmm.
0: That's great news. That's great news because that's the source of it. You know, when we talk about dealing with the back end, that's one thing. What we do once we have all of these, you know, drugs out in the hands of consumers. But dealing with the source um, is so important, and I'm glad to hear that. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but there's much more when we return, so don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Guillermo, I'd like to start this segment off um, with you. You know, passing a city or a county ordinance to create a drug take-back program is one thing, but educating the public on how to actually use the program is another. And I'd like for you to talk to us about how you plan to conduct an effective outreach campaign um, should or when, we're going to be optimistic, when this ordinance passes in San Francisco.
2: Certainly. And we have a little experience at it. Again, the fact that we have a pilot program in San Francisco where we've collected, you know, 23 and a half tons of unwanted and unused medicine safely. We think we have, you know, a good outreach campaign that that has been very effective. And San Francisco is a diverse community in, in many ways. And what the Department of Environment and the city has done and our partners in, in the nonprofit community, our partners in the retail community, was really to do a comprehensive outreach and education campaign to let consumers know how to safely dispose of their medicine and what they're exactly able to do. One of the uh, best ways is really educating the pharmacist because, again, when a consumer goes to purchase um, a pharmaceutical or an over-the-counter drug, Really, that's a great opportunity to educate a consumer about where to return their unwanted or unused medicine. And the ordinance that uh, is before the San Francisco Board of Supervisors really has an entire section on outreach and education that needs to, to, to happen mm-hmm. and effective ways to, to measure that success. Um, through surveys, um, ensuring that uh, that uh, education efforts are done in multiple languages, targeting multiple different types of communities. And then the last thing I'll say that I think that really helps San Francisco to make this a successful program is we have a companion ordinance that was passed in 2011 where all retail pharmacies in San Francisco are required to have information available posted in their pharmacies for consumers to see where they can go and safely dispose of their um, unwanted and unused medicines. So we already have that in place, and that's kind of a really great uh, compendium um, ordinance to what the Board of Supervisors is now considering.
0: Heidi, I know that you're very proud of what's going on here and as well you should be, um, but do you get the sense that this is kind of, with these local patchwork ordinances or sort of the the tail wagging the dog, uh, what do you see on the horizon for state or federal legislation in this regard?
3: Well, our our hope is that it would become a federal program. I mean, the drug epidemic, uh, prescription drug Epidemic is really a national problem. Um, Issues of water and drought and all these things, it's all national. And it would be most cost effective, we think, to have a national program. Uh, But we've tried, at least at the state level, to have this conversation two years in a row um, about legislation to make it statewide. And it's been uh, vehemently opposed. And so we've not been able to get state legislation. So what's happened is the counties have gotten tired of waiting. And I think you see the same thing with what happened with the bag bans in California. Mm -hmm. I think 130 local governments passed ordinances before the state actually finally took action. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly don't uh, hope that we don't have to wait that long and have that many local actions. I don't think that's a good use of everyone's time and energy. And the money would be much better spent if we could just get a statewide program that can be agreed on. Um, But sometimes that's just the way it goes. So we'll We'll see, and I think it, the locals will be driving this from the bottom up because they're the ones closest to the citizens who are demanding the program and, you know, want to protect their kids and the environment. It's just mm-hmm. it's, it's going to happen, and I've, I could, I've been feeling the pressure from the bottom up for about five years. I mean, for us at the the Stewardship Council, it wasn't even a top priority for us because it's not really a big volume product. It's not really a garbage issue. It's much more of a public health issue, but it kept coming up over and over again, and because we're the policy experts in this arena, of course, we got engaged, and um, and here we are. So I'm very proud of the political leadership of the the elected officials who have taken this forward. They've known that they would probably be sued, and they kept going, and it's that kind of political leadership that's required in order to get this job done, so... I really want to give kudos to Supervisor Breed and also to Supervisor Nate Miley and the Alameda supervisors for taking this on. Mm -hmm.
0: Connor, let me ask you this. When do you expect the San Francisco ordinance to face a final vote? Where is it in the queue?
5: So it passed out of committee last Thursday, eight Mm -hmm. days ago, unanimously. And actually, the chair of the committee signed on as a co-sponsor, which was great. It will now head for its first vote at the full Board of Supervisors on Tuesday uh, assuming it passes there, and we, we hope it does, it will come back for a second vote the following Tuesday, the 17th. And then the mayor will have 10 days to sign it, veto, return it unsigned. Uh, we all remember our schoolhouse rock videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, San Francisco functions pretty much the same way. And then uh, hopefully he signs it and it will go into effect 30 days thereafter.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. Now, Dr. Willis, all Government programs need oversight to ensure they're administered properly. As a medical expert, what would you consider optimal conditions for the proper oversight of a drug take-back program?
4: Mm-hmm. I sort of take this from the point of view of uh, of one of my patients. You know, as a as a physician, I have to confess that you know, I when I dispensed it or prescribed medications, the messaging around taking. You know where to take it back was just not part of my education. It's not something I talk to my patients about. Um, I think that this needs to be, you know, a single, aligned, coordinated system all the way through, so that when people are prescribing medications, it's very clear right from the bat that um, you know this is a medicine that we're prescribing that is bioactive agent that has potentially harmful effects if it gets into the environment. That um, if you have if you don't use all these medicines this is where you need to go to drop it off, and this is why we need to do that, and that, that every patient has, who has a prescription would think, you know, to actually drop it off, and that the locations where that would happen would be intuitive and convenient ones. Right now, the four locations where we can drop off controlled substances in Marin County are police stations. Mm-hmm. No one thinks to think, to, that the police have anything to do with their health care. Right, um, and would no one? No one would think to actually go to the police station and drop off their medications. They would think to take it to the pharmacy or to the provider that, that prescribed it. So, my my goal, my hope is that we would have a system that is internally consistent throughout, as part of healthcare and public health, that both the prescribing and the disposal of these medications happens within the same infrastructure and network.
0: hmm And I think you know we've we've achieved that kind of uh, uniformity in other areas of solid waste and recycling and things like that, where you can go from community to community and see some semblance of consistency. And I would hope that we'd be able to do the same way. Last question. uh, And and Heidi, I'm going to direct this towards you. You know, if, if things happen the way you hope they will 10 years from now, how will you measure success? What would success look like if everything you hope happens happened within the next 10 years?
3: That nationally, we would have um, a harmonized, cost-effective, convenient take-back program where patients can return their drugs where they got them at no end-of-life cost. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. a part of doing business for the manufacturers and the retailers. It's just in the in the medical community. It's just part of what they do as the service, which I think is exactly what Dr. Willis was saying.
0: And quick last question, in the last 30 seconds we've got, how can people get involved? Our listeners who are out there saying, I want to be a part of the solution, what do they do?
3: Well, they can uh, contact us at the Product Stewardship Council. We've been very active on this issue um, only because, as I said, this has actually been an issue that was brought to us as a priority by the local governments in California and the water districts, et cetera. So you can join us. You can donate. Um, This is a lot of hard work. We do a lot of research. We're actually putting bins out. We're partnering with pharmacies. We're partnering with law enforcement. We're working on interpreting the DEA regs and getting more bins out. But it takes a lot of work. So uh, donating to us and becoming a um, supporter of what we do and getting active on Mm -hmm. our listservs is a great way to do it. And then we can let you know
0: what's coming to your area. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you who joined us. And thank you to our listeners. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to Go Green.